Welcome to the Human Capital Innovations Podcast, your go-to source for personal, professional, and organizational growth and development. We hope you tune in often for all things people management, organizational development and change, organizational leadership, and social impact related. Maximize your personal and organizational potential with Human Capital Innovations Podcast. Welcome to the Human Capital Innovations Podcast. In this HBR Minute HCI podcast episode, I explore Gina Cox and David Lancefield's recent HBR video, Five Ways to Infuse Diversity and Inclusion into Your Organization. Welcome back to the Human Capital Innovation Podcast. It's great to be with you again today for this HBR Minute HCI podcast episode. Today, I'll be exploring Gina Cox and David Lansfield's recent HBR video, Five Ways to Infuse Diversity and Inclusion into Your Organization. Organizational psychologist Gina Cox and leadership coach David Lansfield offer five strategies for making more progress and creating a more representative, fair, and high-performing workforce. Thanks for joining me, and I'll catch you on the flip side of this first clip. I think leaders are putting diversity and inclusion into the bucket of special initiatives. The big pledge, the new committee, the new appointment. But this is not a special initiative. This is not something, an adjustment to the business. This is not a side issue. I actually think that what we want to get to longer term is where there isn't a CDO, chief diversity officer, and maybe my friends who are CDOs would not like me saying that, but by definition, the CDO role exists in an organization where what we're doing is we're siloing this experience. What it will require in my book is a repositioning of diversity inclusion in people's mindset. We need to change from it being considered a one-off initiative to actually a mindset of infusing diversity and inclusion throughout the organization. So how do we infuse diversity, equity, and inclusion throughout the organization? There is no question that diversity, equity, and inclusion is important. And I think most executives, most leaders will acknowledge that. And most will point to the efforts that they're taking the focus and the the emphasis that they're putting on diversity, equity, and inclusion. But as as they mentioned in that opening clip, it's not enough to just set forward a chief diversity officer. The problem with that is you end up having siloed efforts. And in fact, we need to infuse diversity, equity, and inclusion efforts throughout the organization, throughout all levels of management, all levels of leadership. Everyone needs to be held accountable for diversity, equity, and inclusion. And we can't do one-offs. We can't do diversity training. We can't have one discussion and just hope and think that that's somehow going to fix the problem. This has to be a concerted, sustained effort over time. And they're going to lay out five different strategies, five different approaches that can help us infuse this throughout our organization. Our first solution is to ensure that the CEO positions themselves as the top champion for DNI efforts in the organization. It's not to say that we expect that everything that's happening in that bucket is going to be directly attended to by the CEO. 
What we are suggesting is that the CEO clearly articulate within the organization and to the broader community a stance, a point of view, and a desired outcome that says we want things to be better and we're doing something about it. The element that is most likely to be a barrier to improvement and movement on these factors is often C-suite behavior because the individuals within the C-suite in their various business units and functions who run the day-to-day -day operation of the business, they can just sort of put the brakes on if they don't believe it, if there's no accountability and so on. So the CEO has to take a stance, has to clearly articulate a point of view and set themselves as that example so the rest of the C-suite knows that this is important and that they need to do something about it. So the CEO is the linchpin. The CEO needs to be the top champion in the organization for DE&I efforts. I, I think this is a no-brainer, yet I see so often it get, it's an idea that we just are going to delegate this down to our chief diversity officer or someone who runs, a, you know, who directs a committee on diversity and inclusion. Uh, you know, while those efforts structurally can be just fine, and while certainly a CEO doesn't need to be the one implementing every last thing within the organization related to DE&I, they need to be the champion. They need to drive the vision and the strategy for the entire organization and look into the future how they're going to help the organization be successful. And it's not enough to just make sure that you're financially viable. It's not enough to focus on the other forms of capital. You have to also focus on the human capital. And a big piece of that is the diversity, equity, and inclusion culture and the sense of belonging throughout your organization. When that's not there, then people will not thrive and you're not going to attract and retain the very best people. People want to work for inclusive companies. They want to work for a place where they feel like they belong, where they feel like they can contribute in meaningful, in genuine ways each and every day. That's why diversity, equity, and inclusion is so important. And it's, it's not just the business case, which is clear. There's so much research on this showing the business case for DE&I efforts, but it's the human case. And every, any good leader, any good executive needs to take the responsibility and ownership over being the champion for this, making it a focus, a common focus of, of their narrative, that what they say, their, the, the language that they use, and how they put in place strategies throughout the organization, uh, not just the financial strategies and, and wanting to make sure that we're, we're providing value in the marketplace, but what are our D... DE&I goals and strategies, and how are we going to embed them throughout the organization and hold everyone accountable for achieving those goals? It starts at the top. Our second solution is to center diversity inclusion in the business strategy. It's far more than just an HR issue. I mean, strategy is about making choices about how to win, where to play, and how to go in the future. And as soon as diversity inclusion as a concept and a practice is central to that, I think people think, you know what, actually, this is where we are going as an organization. And one CEO who I've admired is Alex Mahon, who's the chief executive of Channel 4, a UK TV company. Yes, diversity and inclusion is sort of bedded into the remit of the organization, but she's actually seen it as a way of actually developing better ideas that go on screen. Also being very demanding in terms of what she expects from suppliers and partner organizations to make sure that they are actually putting the right people behind the screen and on the screen as relevant. So actually it's not just about the internal strategy process, it's also about the ecosystem of organizations around you too. And while I already mentioned this in my commentary related to the clip on 
being a champion as a CEO and as an executive. As we move into the second uh, element, we need to embed this throughout the organization. This needs to be a part of the, the strategy, um, all aspects of the strategy as it re- as it relates to the people within the organization. And that needs to be embedded in the mechanisms, the processes, the policies, the procedures, the interactions, the performance management, the onboarding, the training, everything uh, needs to, it needs to be baked into everything and it needs to be baked into the strategy throughout the organization. And I really like the example that he shares where one CEO uh, paid so much attention to this, was such a champion for this and embedded this so much throughout the strategy of the organization that ultimately not only were they really mindful about the employee experience related to DEI, but they were focused on the experience of of workers with their suppliers and their partners and other organizations that they were in, in various ways affiliated with. Uh, I, I think that kind of a sense of responsibility is so vital, so important. And if we will just pay attention to this and make this a top priority, uh, the the amount of change that we can drive within our organization specifically, but within our our industries more generally and throughout society, I think is really tremendous. Our third solution is to hold executive leaders accountable for driving DNI outcomes in their organizations. Accountability is essential. You've got to really state your intended outcomes, state who is going to be responsible for that. Hold individual members of the C-suite accountable for achieving those outcomes. But those aren't things that we have done in the past. It's been sort of taboo to even mm-hmm. necessarily say that the C-suite needs to be accountable for this. One of the things that's helping with accountability is that institutional investors are saying, you know what, we, we want to see these numbers. We want to see the progress. Frankly, that is going to be the thing that will make the biggest difference on this issue. Accountability is essential with any metric, with, with any strategy, any emphasis within an organization you have to have accountability and it has to be clearly communicated and people need to understand how they're going to be held accountable. And the same is with DE&I. If I want diversity, equity, and inclusion and to, and to really create a, a robust culture of, of genuine belonging and, and a feeling of belonging amongst my employees and their experience at our company, then I need to clearly articulate the goals, the objectives, the outcomes, and then hold everyone within the organization accountable to achieving those, especially executives and other individuals in leadership roles. If we give lip service to it and we say, this is important to us, this is part of our values, we think this is important, yet then we really seem to make no effort in how we go about our hiring processes, uh, promoting individuals, uh, how, how we allocate resources and, and promotional opportunities and training opportunities and, and development opportunities and such. If, if, it's just, if it's just lip service, then of course we're not accomplishing much. And, and people um, in our teams aren't going to believe it. They're not going to see uh, the value to them uh, in their work life. And they're, they're not going to believe the the uh, the efforts that we're making, and they're not going to put their time and energy towards it. it it's, so when a leader says something, that that's important. But when a, when a leader acts, when a leader does something, that's what really drives behavior, not just of, of them, but of their team and others who observe their behaviors. So we need to hold people accountable. We need to make sure that they know how to achieve and, and give them the resources that they'll need to be successful, but then hold them accountable. And if, if there's huge gender disparities uh, or racial ethnic disparities in their teams, 
that needs to be adjusted. That needs to be fixed. And that's not acceptable. And we need to communicate that. And then we need to hold them accountable. And sometimes that means it's you have to make a hard choice about letting someone go that you like, who in other ways is a good leader, but they're not meeting those expectations, those goals, those outcomes related to DE&I. You know what? If people really matter within our organizations, then that should matter too. That that DE&I effort should, and those outcomes should matter. So if I am good at sales and I, my sales numbers for my team are up, uh, that's wonderful. We need to drive value in the market. But if I do that at the expense of my people, that's a problem. And we need to hold people accountable. I'm excited to announce the publication of my new book from HCI Press, Bluer Than Indigo Leadership, The Journey of Becoming a Truly Remarkable Leader. Early in my adult life, I learned about an Asian proverb that translates as bluer than indigo. If you think about the color indigo, it is a brilliant, deep, and vibrant blue. What some would call the bluest of blues. To have something that is bluer than indigo is rare and truly remarkable. Contrary to popular myth, there is no one-size-fits-all or cookie-cutter approach to effective leadership. There's no silver bullet, no secret sauce, no go-to model that will solve all of our problems. The truth is, great leaders have all had their unique strengths and flaws, and have all had to discover and then pave their own distinctive path in their life's journey to fulfill their leadership potential. Bluer Than Indigo Leadership will help you discover your own path and explore those ordinary, everyday actions that will help you respond to an uncertain future and produce extraordinary results for individuals, teams, and organizations. Our fourth solution is to mitigate implicit bias at the systemic level. We talked about moving on from one-off initiatives, but if you're looking at recruitment, retention, progression, experience, every single part of that needs to work together and well. So if you are a leader in the organization, you have to look at and understand where are there systemic biases that may prevent somebody entering the organization, progressing, having a great experience, and actually looking at the whole system and identifying interventions that you can make to change that. And I use the word intervention very carefully. You do have to positively intervene to change things. We need to better understand our own implicit biases, and we need to understand structural limitations and constraints around our DE&I efforts. We all have them. It's just part of the human condition. We're all raised within certain contexts with certain norms and certain values, uh, familial community values, etc. That, that's not our fault. How we were raised is not our fault, but how we choose to act as we become more aware, as we become, uh, as we mature and we become more attuned to the needs of those around us, that is on us. That matters. And our choices do matter. Uh, but we can't fully understand unless we take the time to do the critical self-reflection necessary to better understand our implicit biases. We all have biases. We all have prejudices. Those are baked into our upbringing and our values and such. Um, and, you know, it, while that may not be our fault that we were taught that as, as a child, if we perpetuate it as an adult, that is our fault. So let's let's get at it. Let's really start focusing 
on how to uh, better understand our implicit biases, our prejudices, um, and and find ways to mitigate those. And let's take a look at systemic issues within our organization. Let's take a look at the structures, the systems in place that disadvantage certain groups of individuals. Uh, I am a you know a cisgender straight white man. Uh, I, I have lots of privilege. I have all sorts of privilege. And that doesn't mean that I automatically get anything I ever want. That doesn't mean I don't have to work hard for success in life. Of course I do. But I have privilege. And that doesn't diminish, the, the fact that I have privilege doesn't diminish the achievements that I've made. It's just an acknowledgement that while other people have had uh, things, the deck stacked against them a bit, I've had an easier uh, deck dealt to me. I, I've had an, uh, an easier hand at life. Um, and what I've chosen to do with it, that is on me, and that's that, that's my choice. We, we need to just understand that. And there are people that are disadvantaged structurally. We can truly make our organization an equal employment opportunity organization, not just because we say so and not just because we're following, you know, the technically following the employment and labor laws so that we don't get in trouble and sued, but like really, truly, from a diversity, equity, and inclusion uh, perspective, through creating a, a true, authentic culture of belonging within our organization, we can truly, in every sense of the word, be an equal employment opportunity organization. We can create that environment where everyone has the chance to succeed, where no one is disadvantaged, where implicit biases won't disadvantage individuals, and where we can disrupt the systems, the policies, practices, procedures that may inadvertently and unintentionally uh, disadvantage certain people and we can fix it. We really can if we just pay attention to it. Our fifth solution is to pivot from diversity training to leadership development coaching. We know from the data that just the whole notion of diversity training in and of itself is never going to accomplish these more sophisticated outcomes that the C-suite really needs. For me, the only outcome is an outcome that says managers know how to be effective managers of everybody on their team. The manager is the biggest determinant of the experience I'm going to have on a day-to-day -day basis. If I could change the rules tomorrow, it would be that in MBA programs, we stop using this terminology about soft skills and we say, look, you can't get an MBA from a fancy school unless you know how to manage humans. Sure, I want you to be able to manage finance. I want you to understand sales and operations and strategy and all these other things. They are no more important than managing the experience of every single person. And I'm gonna hold you accountable for that. This is not a soft goal. This is incredibly hard to do well, but it has to be positioned at the center of our business acumen. And that's a big shift. So actually, rather than saying you're being successful because you sold a lot or you launched a new product, of course that's important. But actually how you interact with your fellow employees, your customers and so on, surely is important to, to shareholder value and the purpose of the organization too. And I think often certain behaviors are tolerated because, oh, well, he or she's really successful, but you know, they're a bit rough around the edges. Well, actually, those edges are important. So actually, we're not going to tolerate that. And that's not good enough. And that's where the leadership interventions need to come in. Their next focus is getting away from this idea of diversity training and moving towards leadership development and coaching. Now, can training be helpful? Sure. I, I think training can help kind of 
on the margins and and with having baseline shared uh, vocabulary and understanding of key issues, I think training can play a role. But training in and of itself isn't going to change behavior. Training in and of itself isn't going to disrupt the systems. And training in and of itself isn't going to uh, give people more opportunities. So diversity training, better understanding implicit biases, uh, going through the work of, of self-reflection and understanding where we stand and where our blind spots are and, and where our weak areas are and, and what we can do to be better for those around us. That's all valuable. That has its role. But we have to get past it. We can't just focus on diversity training. We can't just focus on implicit bias training. We need to really focus on putting all of that into action. And that happens through leadership development and through coaching with, with leaders in real time when they're going about the daily grind, making difficult decisions where they have an understanding and a focus that I need to be in this moment as I'm making this financial decision, as I'm making this hiring decision, as I'm making this operational decision, I'm making this uh, development decision, that everything that I'm is being funneled through the lens of diversity, equity, and inclusion being a, a, a really top priority that ultimately that's something I want to achieve. And I know I'm going to be held accountable for it. Uh, I know I'm going to be supported in achieving it. And I just have people there to support me through mentoring, coaching, uh, through advising informal and formal that people can help me see the DE&I issues baked into the daily decisions that I'm making. That gets beyond, you know, quote unquote, the classroom learning that can happen in a training and really makes it experiential learning. You're, you're, you're getting to that deeper level where you can actually change behavior. You can actually change understanding in the long term and it can, it can fundamentally change who you are as a leader. So I'm, I'm a firm believer in this idea of DE&I leadership development and coaching. The conversations that I have had in this year since George Floyd's death are conversations I had never had, and I've been in corporate America more than 30 years. For example, a conversation where a leader has said to me, I didn't realize how difficult of an experience some of the employees in my own company were having. I did not know that until now. I am seeing more understanding of historical facts. I'm seeing more awareness of the current state of affairs with regard to the differences in the socioeconomics in this country. I'm seeing differences in terms of empathy. When someone is interested in knowing more about this issue, what they usually figure out is that things are worse than they thought they were, which then if you now know, then you wanna fix it. And I certainly think that CEOs can change the world when it comes to this stuff. I agree. I think we have the potential to make wide sweeping social change throughout our communities and certainly within our organizations. When we focus and really have as a key top emphasis, uh, DE&I efforts, not, not in, in word only, not just on the banners, not in the slogans, not on the website, but like really, truly, this is a focus of our organization. We are committed to a positive employee experience, an equal employment experience, we're, we're committed to everyone having a fair shake, a fair chance, and we're going to actively dismantle uh, negative systems and, and those that perpetuate uh, systematic inequalities, uh, both within our community society and within our organizations. When we focus on that, when we make that our priority, we the, the, the amount of change that we can 
uh, drive, I think is is hard to even really fathom. Uh, it, it requires change management. It requires a real focus on belonging culture. It, it requires a shift in mindset and a real focus and emphasis on the employee experience and the nature of the employee experience, that each individual within the organization matters. Each individual is a human being that matters. So not just human capital from the aggregate, looking at kind of those big level metrics and saying, yeah, our human capital, blah, 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 it's improved in this way and that way. But I'm talking about not just at the 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 macro systems level, but all the way down to teams and individuals that we care about them genuinely, sincerely, that they matter to us, that they that we want them to feel a part of our organization. When we take that approach and when we take that responsibility and hold ourselves accountable and each other accountable uh, as leaders within our organizations to make it happen, what we can drive in terms of positive social change, I think, is is beyond bounds. Thank you for joining me for this episode of the Human Capital Innovations Podcast. As always, I hope you stay healthy and safe. I hope you find meaning and purpose at work each and every day. And I hope you have a great week. alchemy of truly remarkable leadership, ordinary everyday actions that produce extraordinary results. Consider how the nature of work has shifted over the past 50 years. With increased globalization, rapid technological advancement, and the shift in economic composition, the average job of today looks very different than the average job of 50 years ago. What will the jobs and organizations of tomorrow look like? Moreover, what does this all mean for organizational leaders? What are the core competencies and capabilities of organizations and their leadership that are prepared for continued disruption and geopolitical and socioeconomic shifts? Regardless of what the future holds, increasingly, leaders need to be socially minded, data-driven, decisive, champions of talent, and disruptors of the traditional notions of leadership, teams, organizations, and work. The alchemy of truly remarkable leadership will help you to explore your own leadership competencies and capabilities and consider ways to apply and implement them into your workplace and personal life. Check out Human Capital Innovations magazine, Human Capital Leadership. Human Capital Leadership is a free interactive e-magazine with the mission to help individuals, leaders, and organizations find innovative approaches to maximize their human capital potential. We publish issues quarterly in August, November, February, and May. Take a look at the latest issue and let us know what you think. Thanks again for joining us for this episode of the Human Capital Innovations Podcast. I hope you stay healthy and safe and that you have a great week.